your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Good snap to him. Hangs one up. This is a pretty good kick. Spielman drifting over. Makes a backpedaling catch of the 25. Eludes attacker. He's got some room. 25, 30, 35, 40. Cutting back to the midfield. He's down the near sideline of the 40. 35, 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, J.D. Spielman from 75 yards. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Nate Rohr. Oh, yeah, we're here back again for another night. And, wow, what a night you have chosen to jump on board with us. We appreciate you finding finding our little show here tonight. We're going to talk college basketball, college football, homecoming activities. Uh, We're going to have a blitz. We're going to talk Major League Baseball. I don't know what else you could ask for. I'll even throw in that it's the opening night of the NHL. How about that? That's well, probably all we'll say about it, but that, it is we'll, going on. We'll have that. an eye on it. We'll have <laughs> occasional updates on Blues Caps, the last two Stanley Cup champions as the Blues begin their pursuit of a second straight Stanley Cup. Huge night. Yeah. Ben McLaughlin's going to join us a couple of different times throughout the program tonight. We sent him on assignment. It was Big Ten Basketball Media Day. It's a one-day-only deal. It's only about six hours, actually. Uh, He was in Chicago. We'll hear from uh, Cam Mack coming up here in a couple of minutes. The exciting junior college transfer of the program that Fred Hoiberg said was asked, can you name another point guard that you've had that reminds you of Cam? And he goes, no, I can't. (laughs) He said he's the fastest guy with a basketball that he's ever coached. Now that's exciting. You know, there's been plenty of talk about how Fred Hoiberg's team's going to look. One thing I think we can be pretty sure of is they'll push the tempo in a way that we've not seen at Nebraska. They are going to be fun to watch this year. How many wins? I don't know. Maybe not a ton. Uh, expectations are fairly low, and that's okay. Brand new program with 11 new players, but they tried. They're going to get up and down the floor, and they're going to shoot threes. Yeah, it, it, it'll be an exciting brand of basketball, and, and before long we'll see a lot of progress yes. from Fred Hoiberg and that program, but boy, with just so many new parts, it's going to take a few, it's going to take, it could take all year for everybody to figure out where they're supposed to go and how they're supposed to play. No doubt. So Cam Mack, an interview with Cam Mack coming up here in just a couple of minutes. We'll have a practice report. Troy Walters met with the media today, trying to wash away the Ohio State game and get ready for Northwestern, a team that does play very sound defensively, just ask the Badgers, who they really held down. They held them to less than 10 offensive points in that game. Wisconsin scored twice on defense in that victory over Northwestern last week. The Cats did a great job on Jonathan Taylor and that Badger offense. It'll be a challenge for Nebraska on that side of the ball. Mentioned it's homecoming week on the UNL campus. This university is celebrating 150 years. We're going to chat with Diane Mendenhall, who is an associate to the chancellor, about homecoming activities, including a big cornstalk festival that's going to be taking place Friday over on campus. We'll hear all the details about that. It's Wednesday night. We'll take our spin around the league with the Big Ten Blitz. Check in at Michigan State, Michigan, and Minnesota. We'll give you all a chance to be a winner tonight, courtesy of the Nebraska Lottery with the Big Red Replay. We'll go back to Chicago. Ben's going to catch up with Sean Morris, a BTN analyst, get his take about what he thinks the league's going to look like this year on the hardwood. So we'll have that. And Lane Grindle, our Major League Baseball insider, will join us. He's heartbroken today. The Brewers had their hearts ripped out last night. Led 3-1 over the Nationals in the wild card game in the bottom of the eighth. But a bases clone. Uh, bases clearing 
single that then the right fielder booted the ball that allowed them all to score, and they end up losing 4-3 to the Nationals. That is a tough, tough way to lose. Especially with Josh Hader on the mound, feeling like you had dealt with the fact that Max Scherzer, one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball, you had you had essentially beaten him. Your starter had beaten Max Scherzer. And that's a matchup you don't expect to win as the Brewers. And, and you know, their whole deal is getting it to the bullpen and, and feeling like if we get into our bullpen, if it's a bullpen game, we're going to win that battle. Well, thanks to some shoddy defense, they didn't. Yeah. So their season comes to an end. The Nationals survive. They'll play the Dodgers starting tomorrow night in the National League Divisional Series. All right, we start with Husker football. And, uh, and some news that popped out around the midday that we didn't see coming. And that is the suspension for this week for senior defensive tackle Khalil Davis. The Big Ten Conference has suspended Khalil uh, for one game for unsportsmanlike conduct in the Ohio State game. He got tangled up with an offensive lineman in the first quarter and the first six minutes of the game is when this happened. It caught us all off guard because nobody really saw it. Um, media people have been going back and looking at tape today to try to see where the altercation occurred. Obviously, something occurred severe enough that the league took a look at it and has suspended Khalil for this game this week, so he will not be eligible to play against Northwestern. Nebraska's Scott Frost did release a statement this afternoon saying, we have been in communication with the Big Ten Conference office over the past day regarding Khalil Davis and support the Big Ten's disciplinary action. We do not condone unsportsmanlike play or behavior in our program, and we will use this as an educational opportunity with our team on how to play the game the right way. We are moving forward with our preparation for Saturday's game with Northwestern. So really no objection from Scott Frost in that statement. So apparently Nebraska must have broken the tape down and seen something that they believe that they can't fight or push back on the league because that's the statement from the head coach. Yeah, and that kind of softens my initial reaction because my initial reaction to this was, well, if it was that bad, how come nobody saw it on the field? But, you know, stuff happens in the trenches. And, and away from the ball. Right. And thing altercations occur. And, and sometimes guys get quick shots in. I mean, there are 22 players and, what, only seven officials on the field. So the odds are in your favor if you want to sneak something. And apparently Khalil Davis did that. But then Ohio State, uh, you would think. Uh, we don't have this for sure, but you would assume Ohio State sent in the tape to the Big Ten Conference and said, look, this happened to my to our defensive lineman and, or to our offensive lineman, and, and the Big Ten office should take some action in this respect. So uh, the fact that Scott Frost is saying, yeah, we, we saw this and, and we're not going – we agree with the punishment essentially – uh, that something happened. I, I think that that verifies it. It's a little frustrating because I'm sure there were two parties in this, and and the other guy didn't exactly have his hands, you know, just down at his sides either. But you know, as far as Nebraska is concerned with Davis, you know, it's a, it's a punishment that you don't like. That's kind of surprising, but clearly there was something. There. Yeah, according to the Big Ten release. Um, he violated the Big Ten sportsmanship policy after he struck an opposing player near the 918 mark of the first quarter. A lot of media types have been out there looking at that very play. He was uh, jumped on top of a guy after an offensive lineman, from what I could see, shoved 
Muhammad Berry, Khalil came up from behind, shoved the offensive lineman, and then they kind of got into a wrestling match on the field. And apparently the Big Ten, in their film review, felt like there was a punch thrown, and that's why Khalil is out for this Northwestern game. So now it leads you to wonder, does Nebraska play Keem Green this week? They, we saw Keem Green play for the first time. The junior college transferred to the program, got here in the second week of camp in August, played a handful of plays against Ohio State. Maybe he gets pressed into service again this week with the loss of Khalil Davis. It would seem pretty natural to play him, and, and the fact that, one, he's already played in a game, so it's not his first game out there. But, two, with the redshirt rule, you could use him four different games, and this would seem to be a natural point where you're going to be a little shorthanded at a spot for a game. You can play him without jeopardizing this year for him and in fact still have two more games to play him without burning the years so it, it would seem Keem Green would be the first guy up uh, to try and, and fill those reps and fill that spot uh, for Nebraska against Northwestern. Again this kind of came out of the blue we hadn't heard any chatter about this nobody mentioned it either team in the post game I don't know that anybody that has talked to me all during the week or I didn't see it. You didn't see it at the mm -mm. game. Ben says he didn't see it. So I, but evidently something was there. And again, Nebraska not pushing back, according to the, the statement put out by the head coach today. So that's the big news. That's a loss. It's a big loss for Nebraska. They do have depth at that position. But Khalil, senior player, he's going to miss a game in his senior year. He not, will not play on Saturday. Well, Huskers were there today, and I, Fred Hoiberg seemed like he was a pretty popular fellow. A lot of questions for him when he was up at the podium earlier today. Yeah, I don't think that was really a huge surprise. You know, anytime there's a new coach, everyone's intrigued and interested, and especially to have the uh, notoriety that, that Fred Hoiberg does, of course, here in the Chicago area coaching the Bulls there's a lot of you know local flavor and everybody just interested in seeing how you know this new Husker basketball team would look and you know certainly a lot of questions and intrigue about uh, not only him but the three players they brought today one of those being Cam Mack who I know you had a chance to sit down with yeah, yeah, first time I'd, I'd met Cam was today. He, of course, didn't make the trip to Italy because of an illness, but he was one of the three representatives of the Huskers today, and I asked him what it was like being one of the three selected, being uh, the, one of the Huskers representing the Huskers here today at Media Day. Um, it feels great. I mean, it's an honor to be here to represent Nebraska, so I really appreciate them giving me a chance, and let's get this show on the road. You're relatively, I mean, all of you guys are new here, but, you know, you're, you're one of the three guys picked, and you're, you're still kind of learning what Nebraska is yeah. all about, and now you're going to be here talking about it. Yeah. What, what have you learned about this place so far? Um, it's definitely a big supporter fan base, and it's just a lot of support here, so I really appreciate the support, and I'm just trying to get the season ready, ready to rock and roll. We're still getting to know you, so let's Definitely. let's talk all the way. Let's go all the way back to your your senior year in high school, Definitely. you know, and what that was like for you, and in the process of trying to find some place to play yeah. college basketball. Yeah. Um, take us back to to senior year, Cam Mack, and really what was going through your mind before your last season. Okay, so yeah, my senior year, I really didn't know where I wanted to go. I was just playing at the point, so I really had to decide what college I wanted to go to and what's the best way to get to the NBA. So I picked. Uh, low major division one called Stephen F. Austin. Uh, it didn't work out, so I transferred to Salt Lake Community College uh, mid-semester in December. Made a good choice going there. Had a couple of options, and I just ended up in Nebraska. So 
everything's going well. Uh, it's, everything's God planned, so I just I'm just taking it day by day. We haven't had very many junior college players in basketball. I've had a few in, in football. Yeah. Well, what is what is JUCO like on the on the on the college basketball level? Being somewhere probably you've never been before in your life. Um, JUCO is really really just a low a lower lower stage of being in D1 it's really you really still have to compete it's a lot of competition I mean it's not like division one but you still have to compete you still have to come with every day because people want your spot so I mean it was a blessing to go Juco I never thought I would go Juco but I went Juco so I'm just proud of the story I'm taking and the way I'm taking so I'm just going with it from what I learn about players that go to JUCO in whatever sport, they, they learn about them, a lot about themselves. What would you learn about yourself in Salt Lake? Um, I learned that I'm confident. Um, nobody can tell me something I can't do. And if I want to do something, I'm going to do it. So I just learned how to just step my game up another level. So, yeah. The competition, you talked about that a little bit already. What, 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 how would you describe the style of play? Does it change from team to team, or is it mostly you know, up-tempo? How would you describe it? Like junior college? or Yeah, so junior college, really, it's not a lot of – I mean, it is a lot of athleticism, but now I'm in the Big Ten, it's way more athleticism. So I have to switch up my game. I have to step, get a step ahead. I have to work out harder. I have to do it a little bit more harder because it's not junior college. So, I mean – during college, competition was okay, but I'm ready for this competition, so yeah. You probably knew you were going to get looks at other schools, but what was that, that feeling like knowing you had to pretty much show out every time you were on the floor because you know, after junior college, you only get a limited time there? Definitely. Um, it was just it was honestly a blessing that I had a lot of schools and a lot of schools out for me. So I just knew like everybody was after me because I was ranked number two. So it was just had to come with it or I'm going to get left. So it was just, that was on my mind every time I stepped on the court. And I thank God for giving me the ability to work hard and play hard. I know you have a good relationship with Coach Abdul Massey. Yeah, when did you meet him first? And, do, you know, when you tell people about him and your yeah. relationship with him, what, what usually comes to mind? Uh, Matt, we've been great friends since probably October, the end of October. That was when I, my first jamboree in Denver, and he called me out of nowhere. <laughs> so we just developed a connection like that, and I really appreciate him giving me a chance and taking me with me here. So, yeah. You, obviously, St. John's before that. Yeah. What was it about, you know, him that you, you that you were attracted to? And, you know, you, this is a guy that I only want to go play for, but, you know, can, can develop that relationship even further. Um, basically, it was, you know, going to St. John's and switching over. It was just him. Uh, basically telling me that he's going to take care of me and uh, he will have my back and I needed somebody to support on a, on a coaching system. So it was just really him having my support, having my back, you know. Uh, Mullins was a big emphasis in that. So it was just, it was everything that was going down there that I really liked about St. John's. You end up at Nebraska. I mean, when, when you probably never even considered this as a as a landing spot for yourself here here in Lincoln. When yeah. when was Nebraska just really something that you're like, wow, this you know this is something I might be open to. Yeah. So Matt, you know, called me and told me that he's going to Nebraska. You know, I could still cock and come with him or just pick another school. So I kind of really called my mom and we just asked. Well, we kind of planned out what would be the right fit for me because this is my you know, third year in college, and it's no time for games. So basically, I looked in. Uh, Fred Hoiberg made a big impact on me flying. This, you know, Utah just knowing, like, he wants me to be the PG. So it's just, like, all the support, them coming coming uh, to Utah, mad calling me, making sure I'm good, you know, making sure you're taking care of me, you know, just a lot of stuff. So it was just, 
it's just a blessing, man. I ended up here. I visited here. I liked it here. I loved it here, honestly. So I, I felt like I could make this thing work. So. That couldn't have been a fun feeling. You know, you finally think you have your spot in St. Yeah. John's and then everything's kind of ripped out from yeah. under you. You mentioned your mom. How did, how did you get through that time, you know, and, and you know, very stressful time for you to, to, to try and figure it out, but, you know, hurry up and make your decision, but make the right one too. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was it was a big decision. I mean, I knew this was, I wasn't going to, it was going to be my last school. It was going to be the school I'm, I'm going to get my graduation from. So. I mean, I I kind of felt a little weird about it, knowing that I was committed to a school for so long, for eight months, and then just switching it. But I mean, everything happens for a reason, and I love Nebraska, so I'm I'm glad I picked here. Tell us about the first time you were in Nebraska, your first visit here. Uh, first visit here, April. It was it was it was cold. It was very very cold in April. So I mean, I knew Nebraska would have been a little different. So I mean, it is what it is. Like. It's Nebraska. It's different, so I'm I'm ready for different. So yeah. You get here, you see the facilities. Maybe you meet a couple of your now current teammates. What was the vi the first vibe you got? You know, when you first saw PBA, you first saw the locker room, you first saw you know where yeah. what what potentially could be your new home. Yeah. Um, first vibe I got here was definitely that it's a loving, it's a caring community. Like I feel like they made it like home already and I, I just got here, you know what I mean? So it was just that. Uh, I met a couple teammates. I knew Gervais was committed here, so I've been talking to him. So it was just, it was just a lot of things in my mind going into Nebraska. Uh, I really didn't know if I was going to commit or not, but seeing the facilities, seeing the support, uh, coaches, just everything. And that's why I made my decision. I knew that Nebraska was the place for me. We're really glad to have you here. Uh, and, here. And obviously, you know, you've been through a lot in the last few months. I don't really want to get into what happened to you, but, you know, how you, I guess just how you doing? You doing okay? Yeah, yeah. You ready ready for practice and ready yeah. to get going? I mean, uh, hospital, missing Italy with my team was very, very disappointing because that was just another way to get connected with my team and play extra games in the summer. But, I mean, everything, like I said, everything happens for a reason. I'm feeling better. I'm doing good. Um, the Midnight Madness went terrific, it was terrific. Uh, so I'm just trying to get back on the court and get ready to go for the season. I've had a sneak peek of what Coach Weiberg is like as a coach, but a lot of people listening have no idea what he's like as a yeah. coach. So those, how would you describe what Coach Weiberg is like as a coach on the floor and, and you know how he pushes you guys the first yeah. few weeks of practice? On the court, he's definitely a serious person. No games. Uh, you know, he was an NBA coach, so he's not coming to play no games. He's definitely serious. You have to take everything with pride. Pace, he's all about pace. Anything you do with Coach Fred and, I mean, Coach Hoiberg, you have to have pace. And he just loves pace. So if you're working hard, you're giving it all, he's not going to be all up in you. He's not going to be crazy. But if you don't work work hard or have pace, then yeah, he's going to talk to you. So, I mean, my I love Fred. You know, I, I really appreciate him coaching me, appreciate him giving me a chance. Um, it would be it's cool learning from NBA coach, you know, who played in the league 15 years, which I'm trying to do. So, I mean, it's just a blessing. Like I said, like Fred's a cool guy, laid back guy. I love Fred. You know, I wouldn't want to play for no other head coach. Cam, we'll let you go with this one. I know your excitement level is probably through the roof to get this thing started, but yeah. what are you most looking forward to at playing at Pinnacle Bank Arena? Pinnacle Bank, I'm just ready to hear when I dunk on somebody, I'm just ready for the crowd to just go erupt. So, I mean, I just can't wait. It's going to be fun, man. Keep that body healthy. Look forward to seeing you out there real yeah. soon. Enjoy media days here thank in Chicago. You. Hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate you. I'm going to enjoy it. Thank you. 
every practice. We're going to work on it every single day until these guys master it. All season long. There's nothing better as an athlete than being part of something that's bigger than just yourself. And I think these guys are starting to feel that and we'll keep building it. It's time for a Husker football practice report on Sports Nightly. And it's presented by JTEC Construction. With JTEC Construction, it's simple. When it's time to replace your windows, give the official exterior experts of the Huskers a call for a free, no-obligation assessment. Huskers in full pads today, working out at the Hawks Championship Center since it was a rainy day here in Lincoln. And Troy Walters addressed the media after practice today, and the Huskers offensive coordinator started by talking about how Nebraska is moving on from losing to Ohio State. Yeah, first of all, we talked about that we're in this thing together. You know, we're a team. We can't listen to the outside noise. We can't listen to everybody who says this and that. We got to trust each other and we got to play together. And we got to understand that every everyone's job is important, right? In this offense, if 10 guys are doing their job and one guy's not, it's not going to work. And so, uh, you know, the interceptions, a lot of times the quarterback's going to get blamed for it. Well, he did no. No, it's all of us. It's the receivers not running the right routes, it's or not getting the right depth, or not being detailed. It's the running backs, it's the offensive line giving the quarterback a little extra more extra time, more protection. It's the quarterback making the right read. It's all of us. Coaches calling a better play. It's all of us. So we understand that. We understand we're in this thing together. Um, we understand that the the importance of practice, the detail of practice. Right? Details of making the right decision in practice. Details of the receivers making sure that we're at the right place at the right time, full speed. And uh, they've done a good job this week of, 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 uh, of doing that, giving the quarterback, quarterback confidence that we're going to be where we're supposed to be. Right? Our job as receivers is to give the quarterback an accurate picture. When he hits his third step, fifth step, whatever it is, we're where we're supposed to be. And he trusts that we're going to get there. And right now, you know, there, I don't know if there's that trust. And so we've worked hard this week and feel like the quarterback now understands that we're going to be where we're supposed to be. I find the use of that word interesting, trust. Adrian Martinez trusting that the wide receivers are going to be where they should be because I think so much of the criticism around Adrian Martinez has been his hesitancy, has been the fact that he's not been able to find some open receivers. Well, a lot of the time, I, I think from what we just heard from Troy Walters, that difficulty in finding receivers is the fact that they're not where he's expecting them to be. Right. And Scott Frost said that Monday. Remember, he talked about trying to figure out where the snap's going to be, where's the pressure coming from, and where are the receivers at? He goes, we've got to do a better job in all those parts to help him out. One other thing that would help Adrian Martinez out, establishing a deep threat. Of course, the Huskers missing Stanley Morgan and really a big guy to go up and get a ball way down the field has not emerged. Trey Walters was asked, who is Nebraska's best deep threat? Well, Mike Williams can run. Uh, Jerron Woodyard, you know, he's, he's back up healthy, so, you know, he can run. Uh, J.D. can run. Um, you know, Conavai is, is more of a possession guy, but, uh, um, you know, and, and, and even deep balls come back to the offensive line, giving the quarterback enough time, quarterback making the right decision, putting the ball where he needs to be, receivers running full speed. So it's a combination of, of everybody to create those explosive deep passes. 
So a couple of guys there, and Mike Williams and Jerron Woodyard, neither of, of whom's really been able to gain their foothold on, on this team. And Jerron Woodyard, it sounds like he's been nicked up, which is one of the reasons why we haven't seen him to this point in the year. Yeah, and it, it makes sense because he has not been out there. I think he was out there for the Colorado game maybe for a few plays, but it's been a, it's been a lot of missing, missing in action for Jerron Woodyard. And really for a lot of Nebraska's wide receivers. And as we continue along on our JTEC practice report, uh, one difficulty Nebraska's wide receivers had against Ohio State was getting off the line of scrimmage against their really aggressive man press coverage. Trey Walters was asked, who is the best among his wide receivers at getting off the line of scrimmage against hard press coverage? Yeah, Kadavai uh, is, is is a solid release. It's f- solid fundamentalist. You know, he does everything well. Um, you know, the teams like Ohio State they try to disrupt your timing, so they're going to get up and try to press you, try to disrupt the timing. And so, you know, we try to preach uh, not taking a whole lot of time at the line of scrimmage. You know, if we're standing there and we're juking and jiving and not getting into our routes, then the defense is doing what they're supposed to do. So, um, you know, we we work quickness, speed, getting in and out, getting off the line, low, tight, skinny. We work all the techniques every day, you know, going against our defense. That's all they do is press. And so what it comes down to is guys in the game is just reverting back to the fundamentals and what they've done all fall camp and utilizing the technique we've taught them and, and, uh, and going to win. And there's times against Ohio State, we, we did a good job releasing and something happened up front or, you know, we just the quarterback didn't throw the ball or whatever. So we just got to be consistent, continue to work and, and get ready for a good Northwestern team. I think the key word there is consistency, consistently leaning on your technique to quickly get into your route, to quickly get off the line of scrimmage and not dancing around and, and really waiting around to, to shake a guy because by that point, the play is pretty well over. It, at some point, the pass rush gets to the, uh, to the uh, quarterback. What do they say? You usually have about three seconds to get rid of the football, and that's mm-hmm. not happening. Yeah, it, it's – it, you know, if you're not getting off the line of scrimmage, those three seconds melt away pretty quickly. Uh, one wide receiver who's been missing for Nebraska is Cade Warner. Had a good year last year, but has played sparingly this year. Troy Walters was asked how much the Huskers miss Cade Warner. Yeah, we miss him a lot. You know, he's uh, battling injuries and not really full strength. And um, But when he's on the field, he understands. He knows what to do. Um, he's another coach on the field. Um, I think the quarterbacks trust that he's going to be in the right position, um, going to run the right routes. And so, you know, we miss him. And, uh, you know, hopefully he gets back soon and gets healthy where he can he can be at 100%. It Darn would it. Yeah. He it, was just out there the other day. And that's about the first we'd seen of yeah. him. It, it would help this offense a lot if they had Cade Warner out there because you feel like of the wide receivers, you know, especially of the guys who aren't the Duck R guys, Spielman, Robinson, whomever, Warner's the one guy Adrian Martinez has trusted and trusts. Yeah. All right, good stuff. Bo Wilson did practice today. That's good news. Mm-hmm. Uh, did not pad up yesterday, but was out there today. So that, that gives you a feeling he's probably going to be okay for Saturday. Yeah, you would think the fact that he was out there today, uh, this is kind of the last legitimate practice. Tomorrow's more of a walkthrough type deal. But the fact he was out there today, and he's played a lot, so 
being out there today is probably enough for him. Yeah. Hey, Midwest Ford Eaters, they're offering you an awesome prize this football season. All you have to do is enter a photo showing your Husker pride or vote for your favorite photo, and you could be the winner of a bull trip for two, a VIP experience to the Iowa game, or a $50 Husker gift card. Enter and vote today at Facebook.com slash Huskers. Back to finish off Hour 1 next. The Big Ten Blitz. Michigan State. Talk about the Spartans. Hondo Carpenter, Spartan Nation, joins us. Michigan State coming off a thrilling finish, beating Indiana 40-31. to I'm surprised Indiana put those kind of points on the board, Hondo. Was that, game, that game had to be a little closer than most people thought, right? Absolutely, but they absolutely have the offensive scheme that works against Michigan State. Those are always tight games. Michigan State's offense, I mean, defense is geared towards stop the run and make you not be able to go over the top. And they dink and dunk all night long. Give them credit. That offense was the real deal. They look great. And the Michigan State offense looked better than they were because it was really just the Indiana defense. Well, but, you know, back-to-back weeks for that Spartan offense has kind of found some rhythm, right? Northwestern two weeks ago and then the 40 against Indiana. That, that's got to give this team a little bit of hope going to the shoe on Saturday, I would think. I am sure there are people who have bought fool's gold here. I don't think there's <laughs> any hope at all. You know, and I would say this. I think there are people from Nebraska on my, on my Twitter that were a little – not a little, a lot overreacted. I think you just got beat by the number one team in the country. I don't think Nebraska's that bad. But I think a lot of people are overreacting thinking Michigan State's offense is that good. Okay, this is the Spartans have been a tough matchup in recent times for the Buckeyes. Mm-hmm. Um, what what will it take for Michigan State? Obviously, they got to play great defense and force some turnovers, I would think. Yes, the offense hasn't scored a touchdown in two years. Uh, Brian Lewarki has started the last two games. He's had one field goal drive. Uh, he got benched last year, and Rocky Lombardi came in and led for three field goal drives and had a touchdown call back before he got benched again. Um, so the big thing's going to be the offense is just going to have to absolutely go out and score. But the other one is this, and, and I'd, Urban Meyer is a great coach. No one questions his resume. But he's very stubborn, and the reason that he would lose to Michigan State and struggle was because Michigan State is exceptional at taking away what you do best and making you change. And Urban, um, you know, Urban's the kind of guy you walk in a room and ask who's the smartest person. He's going to be the first to tell you he is. He doesn't like to make a lot of changes, likes to do his system. So if Michigan State would take away what he wanted to do, and you saw a couple years ago, they went in there with two backup quarterbacks beat them changing their system to just simply the old option because they didn't have anything and they were able to beat him because he wouldn't adjust and i think you know that ryan days there one thing i think that's really impressive with him is you see a guy that's willing to adjust willing to change i i think this obviously no one is discrediting urban meyer's resume he's a great coach but I think this Ohio State team is even better this year without him and with Day because Day's been proven to make some really fast adjustments, and I think that's scary for anybody in the league. I know. I couldn't agree more. I was so impressed with them Saturday night. It's one of the better teams I've seen in person in my lifetime in college football. But Michigan State can play great defense. It should be fun. It's a 6.30 kick central time on ABC. Hondo, we appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Thank you, buddy. Michigan. 
Let's talk about the Wolverines as they get ready to host the Iowa Hawkeyes and Angelique Shingalos from the Detroit News joins us. We've not talked to Angelique for well, about six weeks. You've had some interesting times up there in Ann Arbor over the last month, haven't you? Well, I was just going to say, you only talk to beat writers of relevant teams, right? I mean, if they'd beaten Wisconsin, we might have had a conversation <laughs> earlier. Yeah, no, it's been very interesting and uh, very interesting to see how they rebounded after that Wisconsin game. They, uh, you know, it was it, it was a terrible performance on all levels. And then they come back and they get healthy. They get well against Rutgers. And, and I think you and I could, could, could have probably scored against uh, the Scarlet Knights last week. But... You know, the real test now is, is Saturday, is, is Iowa. And it, it's going to test Michigan in every phase. I think particularly the run game and see where this is going with Zach Charbonnet and Christian Turner and a running back by committee at Michigan. And Iowa comes in with the number 10 rush run defense. So I, I think that'll be a very interesting uh, tale of the tape there. Angelique, let's go back a couple of weeks to that Wisconsin mm-hmm. game. What was more surprising to you, that they couldn't stop the Badgers or that they couldn't get really any flow offensively going? Well, I wasn't surprised about the flow. Just because of the first two games, we all saw the turnovers. I mean, they fumbled on, on the first possession of each game, and, and they did so again. You know, they're on the seven-yard line at Wisconsin, and they bring in their, their fullback who converted a defensive tackle to, to carry for the first time since the end of last year. and. And he fumbles. So it was not surprising. It's just sort of like, you kind of like, wow, this is deja vu. It just keeps happening. And, and they had not been actually a little more surprised by the defense. I thought Don Brown had this, um, you know, you, you hear all, we don't get to see practice. So you just hear what they're telling us. And, you know, they're not going to miss a beat. They're not going to, you know, they can, they're going to fill those boys left from by Chase Winovich and Rashawn Berry and Devin Bush. And, and that really hasn't been the case. And and to see Jonathan Taylor, who's an you know superb back, but run all over them like like he did in the first quarter, in particular, it was surprising. And and I think Jim Harbaugh was surprised after the game. And and I asked him, you know, they had a, an extra week, and and so did you, because he said they were unprepared. I said, how are you? How are you unprepared? <laughs> And he just said he just looked a little lost there for a moment, and said that they were out coached and outplayed. And I guess that's how you chalk you chalk that one up and you move on. And teams certainly can. It was an early was game three. Teams certainly can change and be tweaked as the year goes on. Let's let's focus in now on Saturday. Here come the Hawkeyes. Lay this out for us. What do you expect on Saturday? Well, I mean, it, it's it's homecoming. It's always a big day in Michigan Stadium, as it is at, at any stadium hosting. And uh, I, I just think this is, you know, usually you bring in a team like Rutgers for homecoming, not Iowa. And Iowa's had the edge on Michigan the last few games. And uh, going back to that crushing loss for Michigan in 2016 when Wilton Spates got hurt, and they were they were thinking they were on the verge of of maybe getting into that national playoff talk. I mean, they were in the talk. And, you know, Iowa's been a spoiler for them a little bit. And, and I, I think that, look, I, I, we saw what, what Josh Gaddis' speed and space can look like, but it was, again, against Rutgers. I think we, call, we, we have qualified everything that happened last week as, well, it was against Rutgers. But Josh Gaddis did move from the press box down to the field, and I do think that made a difference. The, the quarterbacks, that they were more comfortable with him there. The, receiving, the receivers who he coaches, they were more comfortable with him there. So I think that was a positive step for Michigan. But it's can they play turnover-free? And if they can, then I, then I think they have a, re- a really solid chance of, of winning this game. But, again, if they start coughing up the ball against a defense like that, it's going to be another long day for Michigan. I remember the game these two played in Iowa City a couple years ago. It was really low scoring. Do you anticipate mm-hmm. that same mm-hmm. thing Saturday? 
I'm thinking, you know, I haven't made my pick yet, but I'm thinking it's going to be kind of a field goal game. And, yeah, low, low scoring. I mean, I don't think weather is going to be an issue, so I don't think that's going to have any effect. But I just think, you know, I think Michigan's defense looked a little bit better last week. Um, they're playing, you know, that was the other thing going in that Wisconsin game. They were like, oh, great. You know, coming off of Army, it's great to prepare for more conventional offense. And then you saw what happened. So, you know, they'll have a little bit more of that to test them, more of a conventional offense, and see if uh, Michael Dwumfor is back, the defensive tackle who's been out uh, the first couple games. And, and that was uh, that was a, an important uh, player to get back in the lineup. And they liked his freshman, Dax Hill, the safety. And, and the way he, he showed last week at Rutgers, I think he's going to get a little bit more playing time. He's extremely fast. He's, he's really, really good. And uh, But I, I do. I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I don't think quite like that one, but I think it's going to be a, you know, a field goal kind of either way. I'm not sure who to give the edge to right now. 11 o'clock Central on Big Fox, Michigan hosting Iowa. Angelique Shingatos of the Detroit News. We appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. Minnesota. Let's talk about the Gophers. Andy Greeter of the St. Paul Pioneer Press with us. What a what a start for Minnesota. 4-0, Andy, but they have not lacked for excitement in these games. They've all been close, haven't they? Yeah, they uh, have had four uh, one-possession games, and there's only five FBS teams uh, that have had that ever, according to the Elias Sports Bureau, and the first time since Penn State in 1985. So, yeah, uh, it was a little bit different here this last week. Uh, where the Gophers had a 38-17 lead over Purdue uh, and then had to hang on after uh, the Boilermakers scored a couple of touchdowns, uh, getting an onside kick uh, in between those two touchdowns compared to their three non-conference games uh, where they they have either game-tying or game-winning drives late. Uh, So, yeah, they are 4-0, but it's by the skin of their teeth. How well is Tanner Morgan playing? Oh, man. I mean, he set a Big Ten record here this last week against Purdue with a 95.5 completion percentage. And the one incompletion he had was a throwaway uh, to avoid a sack. That's how good he was. Uh, It was also a testament to the Gophers' wide receiver trio, uh, who also made him look pretty good with some great catches. Yeah, he's, he's feeling very good, and he's been great on third down overall. Um, you know, he, he has led uh, some late touchdown drives uh, in this last game. He had a four-minute drive to kind of ice the game. Yeah, he's been playing really well. He's, uh, his quarterback percentage is up with some of the greats in the game, like Tua, Trevor Lawrence, and Jalen Hurts. So, yeah, he's, uh, he's at a peak right now. Andy, one challenge for all coaches is to try to establish a winning mindset. We're Nebraska struggling with that right here, trying to w- sure. find a way to win games. It sure looks like P.J. Fleck has flipped that switch for that program. Is that accurate, you think? Yeah, I do think so. Uh, you know, just given where th- this team has come from, you know, the first time uh, P.J. took a team into Purdue, uh, they had a fourth-quarter lead and lost it. And uh, this time they had a fourth-quarter lead and were able to, to get it done. Yeah, I think that there's a poise. I think there's a calmness uh, that you've seen at different times. You know, they were trailing Georgia Southern late. They had a third and 29 at their own six-yard line, and they were able to get out of that in two plays and score a touchdown. You know, they were uh, on the road at Fresno, which isn't an easy place uh, to play, and were able to win it late there. Uh, South Dakota State, again, not a great opponent. Uh, but they were able to win it late there as well, where they just kind of made winning plays when it fired most, and I think that does start at the top. Okay, this week, Illinois comes in. The line I had last week off. Size this matchup up for us. 
Yeah, this one is interesting because last year, uh, this was the low point of P.J. Flex uh, two-plus years. You know, they got absolutely run over by the Illini in Champaign. I think it was 55-31. The Illini had over 600 yards of total offense, 400 yards rushing, and the Gophers fired their defensive coordinator the next day. Uh, And since then, the Gophers, uh, I believe, are 7-1. So they've really turned things around. The Gophers struggled to tackle late against Purdue, and that was something that happened against Illinois as well. Uh, Reggie Corbin, I think he's averaging 7 yards a carry, and he gave the Gophers fits last year. So the Gophers' defense is able to and you know, tackle better, keep Reggie Corbin in front of him. Ricky Smalling is a good receiver. Brandon Peters has played well uh, as he's transferred from Michigan. So I think the onus is on the Gophers' defense to, uh, you know, kind of rebound from their poor finish uh, last week against Purdue. I think the Gophers' offense is really starting to click. They've been scoring over 30 points uh, routinely now, and I see that continuing. Andy Greeter of the St. Paul Pioneer Press with us. Minnesota hosts Illinois 2.30 on Saturday. Uh, one guy's on BTN. Andy, today is our it. Ben McLaughlin. Yep, we sent him on care. assignment to the Windy City to be a part of the Big Ten's basketball media days. Mr. McLaughlin, good day from Chicago. And uh, uh, I guess good day. Fred Hoiberg got a lot of attention. Well, how, how are things in the Windy City up there? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, and Fred loves it here. He loves Chicago. Loved his time with the Bulls. And unfortunately, things didn't work out as long as, as he would have hoped. Uh, kind of inherited a, a pretty big mess with uh, with that with that roster and, and some of the acquisitions. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there was, a, there was some nostalgia today. You could definitely sense that. Yeah, he, he got about as many questions on the podium as, as really any coach did during the morning session of that. And then I'm sure he was surrounded throughout the day whenever he was made available. One of the, the, the great things about media days, whether it be football or basketball, Ben, is a chance to kind of rub shoulders with some of the national media, some of the people who cover college basketball day in and day out. And you certainly had to – you got a chance to see a bunch of those guys today, including Sean Morris, who's one of my favorite guys on BTN. I think he does such a great job. Yeah, it really is just a, a super guy and, and a lot of fun to talk to. Obviously, is very passionate about the sport of college basketball. I was lucky enough, and he was nice enough to give us a few minutes today. And so started by talking about the competitiveness of the Big Ten. A lot of the coaches spoke to that today, just how tough this league is up and down uh, all the teams in this league. And get, asked his thoughts on the competitiveness of this league and what he's expecting here when the season comes around. I, I think that's kind of been you know, the, the standard for the last number of years, you know, you're always going to have teams that are perennially, you know, kind of in the mix, but I think you can go down to nine or 10 deep. And I think it's going to be at least another eight big lead this year, you know, with the 20 conference games, it really helps teams with, with all, whatever the metrics they decide that they want to really focus on. I think it helps with that. And the one thing that has always been consistent in this league has been the level of coaching. So by the time that you get after the, the beginning of the new calendar, even though there've been a couple of conference games in there there are no secrets and so to see the level of adjustments to see guys um, injuries all those things come into play but the the depth of the league is is really outstanding and I think you know Michigan State Maryland you know those are teams that immediately come to the fore but you can put a lot of other teams in that mix and you know Nebraska is a team I think that people want to get their licks in they better do it early because you know Fred's history has been he will win you know and he'll get guys in there and they will win and the the fan support there is second to none 
And so uh, it, it's going to be a really interesting year. That's a team that I think can knock off a couple of teams along the way, especially at home. Uh, but the level of the level of coaching is the one thing that, that is really impressive, not just within the league, but nationally as well. You've been to Lincoln a whole bunch, and I know you follow the Coach Miles era pretty closely. When they decided to make the change, what was your interpretation of what type of job Nebraska was and, and what type of situation they would inherit? Well, I think the, the you know facilities are fantastic. I mean, they're as good as you're going to find. A lot of people, you know, a lot of people outside the basketball world would say, well, why would all these teams come to Nebraska to look at what they've done from facilities-wise? They obviously have not been there. So I think the facilities speak for themselves. The fan support is outstanding. I mean, they, they played Purdue last year on a weekend. I've been involved for a long time. I've seen games postponed. I've seen games move back. I've never seen them move forward. They move the game forward and the place is still full. So you have the fan support. You have the facilities. Uh, you know, you don't necessarily have the long-standing tradition, but I, I think that they found a guy that with his formula um, you can put them in the mix. So for the basketball world, they're looking at facilities. They're looking at the ability to, to bring in guys that can help them win, and they're looking at fan support, and all three of those things were there. One of the schools that brought in a new coach does have some of that tradition. That's Jawan Howard at Michigan. Your take on the hire and, and you know bringing a member of the Fab Five back to kind of get you know Michigan going with a pretty good situation that he's walking into. It is. It's going to be interesting to me to see how they play. You know because he's coming from an NBA centric level. You know they're going to try to play a little bit more faster pace. What are they going to do? There's a lot of pieces there to like. I think Isaiah Livers is a very nice player. You have John Teske back. You've got your point guard with Xavier Simpson. How they decide to play and how he starts to incorporate those things. And his adjustment to the college game, you know, just like uh, Fred at Nebraska, I think it's so important that you surround yourself with experienced guys. Fred has certainly done that on his staff, and Jawan to bring in Phil Martelli. I think that's one of the best off-season moves that they could have made, especially given the timing of Coach Beeline moving along. There was an intriguing team that that I had kind of my eye on coming into this event. That's Penn State, you know, with Stevens coming back and, and Chambers starting to get his feet under him, start to get some players with Reeves from Philly. What's your take on on the Penn State? job, how hard it is to win there, and, and really their potential this year. I think that's the most difficult job in the league, to be honest with you, just because it's you know it's very hard to get people there. You're in a small area for a midday game, for instance, but the job that they've done on the defensive end, it's always been there. Lamar Stevens coming back, I think he's a more than legitimate player of the year candidate preseason you know, in the conference, and they've been able to get some guys that can shoot the ball a little bit better, and so they've become a little bit more versatile offensively. I think that's the toughest job. I think the job that he's done there is is fantastic. The key for Penn State this year, in my opinion, everybody's margin for error isn't as wide as you'd want it to be. I think for Penn State, as you're trying to kind of get into that NCAA tournament for the first time in a while, you can't afford to drop any games that you should, on paper at least, win. You know, you're always going to pull a few upsets. You can't afford to be upset yourself to, to kind of decrease your margin for error. Defensively, you know what they're going to be. And if Mike Watkins can, you know, kind of be healthy and gives them some quality minutes, they can play a lot of different ways with, with Stevens on the floor. Sean Moore to BTN with us here on Sports Nightly. Another team that piqued my interest is Archie Miller at Indiana. That's that's a, a blue blood that doesn't have a lot of room for patience. Romeo Langford, a one and done. Uh, Indiana kind of piecing that roster together with some injuries they dealt with last year with high expectations again in Bloomington. What's your outlook on them? I, I think you mentioned injuries. I think one of the key injuries for them last year and within the league was Rob Finnessy. I, I really like him. I think he has a chance to be a very, very good player for Indiana. And, you know, as his career moves on, he has a chance to be an all-conference player. 
he got hurt in the non-conference. He did so many things well for them. They missed him and kind of had to mix and match with their backcourt. They're going to miss Juwan Morgan, who I think was a really underrated player. But they had some injuries a, a year ago. They weren't able to kind of get things going. Defensively, you know what you're going to get from them. I think a key for them, you know, when, when I think of Justin Smith, I kind of think of um, Isaiah Roby, you know, a guy that you're, you're just waiting for him to kind of move forward. And you saw the movement that Isaiah had between his sophomore and junior year. If Justin Smith can kind of replicate that with his athleticism and ability to score around the rim, they're going to have a lot to say too, especially at home. If they can stay healthy, you know, they, they've really battled that the last couple of years um, with some of the young guys they have coming in, that's going to be a tough out. I've picked on a few teams already. Is there another team that you're like, maybe I need to pay closer attention to him or these, these teams should be, should be watched out for? A, a, a team, you know, everyone, two teams, everyone always seems to overlook Purdue. Um, and Coach Painter has won in a variety of different ways. He's won with two bigs. He's won with one in, four out. He's won any number of ways. He, he is really an outstanding coach, and I think they have a chance to you know, be in the top three or four again this year. And another team to keep an eye on, in my opinion, is Minnesota. Now, Coffey moved on to the NBA, but I like the way Daniel Oturu played toward the end of last year. You know, Gabe Kalsher can a kid that was sitting out as a transfer car from Pitt, who I think has a chance to be a very good player for them. So don't, don't sleep on the Golden Gophers, especially with the way they They've kind of constructed their non-conference season. They have an opportunity to really, especially in the metrics, look very, very good early on. Hard to believe it's already here. And before you know it, you'll be back in Lincoln calling another game. Sean Morris, BTN. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate it. Hopefully, uh, Media Day treated you well. Appreciate it. No one can come around and stand around and do nothing better than me. That's my gig. His voice will sound familiar. And Nepo's gone. Bye-bye baseball. His knowledge is endless. He looked so fast. It was unbelievable. He's our Major League Baseball insider. Just ate a brownie, so I'm ready. Lynn Grindle. Well, halfway surprised you're answering the phone today. That was a gut punch last night for the crew. Yeah, I mean, that's baseball. Um, that's not a, a great explanation for people that are hurting today, and including a lot of the guys in our traveling party and, and honestly, including the broadcasters, but um, that's, that's the game, man. It can bring you incredible joy and, and you can pull out some unbelievable victories that uh, you never saw coming. And, and then the opposite can happen to you. And really, you know, the Brewers this year had one of the incredible comebacks that we've seen with the run they went on in September. And, um, you know, it, there's, there's nothing, that you can really say about last night's game, in my opinion. I mean, I know people want to analyze this or that, but there's not one move that was made that shouldn't have been. I mean, it was a really good baseball game, and the Nationals got a big hit when they got that opportunity to score some runs finally in the game. And somebody had to win, somebody had to lose. is one of those things. And, you know, the Brewers, everything went according to their script. Everything. Um, except for the fact that Josh Hader maybe didn't have quite as good a command as he normally would have, and so he was falling behind. But if you go through that inning in the eighth, Greg, I mean, he strikes out Victor Robles. Then there's a controversial call on a hit batter um, with Michael Taylor, um, where it really looked like to me, and I, I'm, I'm sure I'm biased, but it really looked like to me it hit the handle of the bat before it hit his hand. Um, and that should have been a foul ball, and then you the at bat continues at three balls and two strikes. But it wasn't. It was ruled a hit by pitch, and so that gets the first runner on. 
And then you get the the little broken bat flare from Ryan Zimmerman. Um, that's not a hard hit ball. That's a pretty well executed pitch for the most part. And then Soto, Soto, you know, that was legitimate. His base hit into right. And then the misplayed ball. So there's a lot of things that happened. Nothing really from a strategy standpoint that you could question. Um, it was a good baseball game and somebody won it and somebody lost it. The nationals won it. And I think whoever won that wild card was going to give the Dodgers everything they wanted in this divisional series. Yeah, and that starts uh, tomorrow out in L.A. This year with these wild card games, Lane, and we've got one tonight here with Tampa Bay and Oakland, it brings up the debate, should the wild card be a best of three, not just a one and done? You got any thoughts on that? Well, I've talked to people that, that are smarter than me that – really do think it should be a two out of three. And there, there's a lot of reasons why. I mean, one, it's a little bit more fair. Um, you probably have to give something back if you're going to go two out of three with the wild card. And so the the thought that I was told, this isn't my idea, by the way, um, but the, the, the idea that was floated to, to me at one point was, what if you did away with 163s unless it's for that final spot in the playoffs? So if two teams tie for the division – the team that wins the head-to-head wins the division, like you'd have in the NFL or something like that. Um, and 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 the only time you'd have a 163 is for that, basically for that final wild card spot, right? That is something that I've seen floated or heard people talk about, and I think that makes some sense. Um, it's more equitable. It's more fair for the players, for the fans, for everybody else. But the other part of it is, I think it would incentivize more front offices to go for it. Um, right now we have a situation where a lot of front offices look at that wild card and say, well, that's a crapshoot. That's a one-game thing, and the best team's not always going to win that game. And so it makes them a little bit hesitant to push chips to the middle of the table in at the end of July if they're seven and a half games out of first place and they don't think they really have a realistic shot of winning their division. And their only shot is to go play a one-game play-in. So I, I think it would it would encourage more front offices to compete in that regard if you have runaway division leaders at that point in time. So I think there's some good benefits that would come out of it. Um, will it happen? I don't know if it'll ever happen. It could. I wouldn't rule it out. I don't. I I, I wouldn't say that I feel like there's any kind of real mo- momentum toward that right now, though. Yeah. All right. Uh, you, you've already said you think the Nats can can. Give the Dodgers fits. How about the other series in the National League with the Cardinals and Braves? How do you see that thing? I think that'll be a good series. Um, the Cardinals are not swinging the bat incredibly well right now. Um, their bat's cool. I mean, I know they had the big day against the Cubs on Sunday, but everything in game 162, I think people just need to kind of dismiss. Um, they, they have not swung the bat particularly well over the last couple of weeks. And now with a little bit of a layoff, that would worry me because um, guys aren't seeing live hitting and, and everything else. That would make me a little bit nervous if I'm a Cardinals fan. Now, Jack Flaherty, you know, he's going to go um, in game two on Friday, and then they'd have him available for a game five should they need him. Um, he's been outstanding. Uh, I think Dakota Hudson has a chance to be a really good starter for them down the road, Waka. Um, when, when he was healthy, uh, you know, certain I don't I don't know that Walk is going to be available for the series, right? Yeah, I've heard that it's still in doubt. Yes. Yeah, right. So I don't know that he's going to be available. 
Um, you know, you got a veteran in Adam Wainwright that, of course, um, is somebody that they'll feel good about giving the ball to if they need it. But uh, I, I think it's going to be a good season. I like that Braves team a lot, Greg. I just think that that Braves team with their, their young energy and their overall collection of talent, and now all of a sudden they have pretty good collection of arms as well in that rotation. I like them to win that series. I would not be shocked if that series goes five. And, um, you know, the, the Cardinals have – have a they have a very good team. That's one of the one of the best defensive teams I saw this year. And you go back to the beginning of 2018, that team was a mess defensively. And they they cleaned things up when Mike Schilt took over as manager. They got much better defensively last year when they went on their big hot run in the month of August. And they were a great defensive team. And they're really good in the base paths. They are aggressive. They take extra bases. And uh, that plays well in the postseason. So I, I think the Cardinals have a good shot in that series. I favor the Braves. I think it goes five. Lane Grindles, our Major League Baseball inside. Let's go to the America League. And again, the Astros await tonight's winner. But so we know it's the Yankees and the Twins. We were, we were talking about this last night, Lane, that the Yankees are just an amazing story, aren't they? I mean, all the injuries they had and to still put up the winning percentage and the amount of wins they had, over 100 it's hard to believe they were able to do that with all the injuries that they suffered this year. Yeah, it, it is. And, I mean, they had guys do things that they – I mean, look, we were just in Colorado, and when you talk to Colorado people, they're just sick to their stomachs that they let D.J. LeMahieu get away. I mean, this is a guy that won a batting title at Coors Field. The knock was he couldn't hit away from Coors Field. And he signs after the Rockies went out and signed Daniel Murphy – and he basically signs for the same deal with the Yankees. And Daniel Murphy hasn't been healthy, and he's been bad defensively, even over at first base. And he had an okay year offensively, but not maybe the year you'd expect for him to outweigh all the defensive issues that he has. And then here's D.J. LeMakeu, who has just had a monster year for the Yankees. And that's just kind of their season in a nutshell. But, I mean, yes, they have the big names like Judge and Stanton, but those guys really didn't have that much of an impact on this year's team. It, it was guys like D.J. LeMahieu, um that, that really um, kind of carried this team at times. And that's what makes it a pretty amazing story. And it's probably why Aaron Boone, I mean, I, he, I think he's the manager of the year in the AL. Rocco Baldelli's going to get a lot of votes, too. Um, and A.J. Hinch deserves a lot of votes. I mean, all three of those guys. And Kevin Cash. I mean, to take the lowest payroll in baseball and to win 90-plus games, 95-plus games, I mean, I think that's a hard vote for American League Manager of the Year because they all had their circumstances. Maybe, maybe you rule A.J. Hinch out <laughs> because – he has such a super team, and he didn't deal with the same adversity that Aaron Boone dealt with, with all the injuries. But all those guys did an amazing – and Bob Melvin. I mean, he just keeps doing it with the A's, and they do it with a lot of guys maybe that you haven't heard of. So, I mean, it, that's an unbelievable collection of managers in that American League uh, postseason. Speaking of managers, there's some that are out of work now, and a lot of hits to your division, the NL Central, with Clint Hurdle gone and Joe Madden gone. Those are – That'll be a shakeup in the division. How about this, Greg? Uh, Craig Council took over as the manager of the Brewers in May of 2015. He is the longest tenured manager in the NL Central. Now, let me do you one more. He's the longest tenured manager in the National League. Whoa. How about that? Wow. I mean, that's, that's mind-boggling, right? 2015, into the season in 2015, he's the longest tenured manager 
in the National League now. And he's like the fifth longest tenured manager in baseball. You've got Bob Melvin in Oakland, uh, Terry Francona in Cleveland now. Um, I think Kevin Cash in Tampa has him. And uh, I'm missing one. A.J. Hinch, I think, with the Astros. I think those are the guys that currently have been with their clubs longer than than Craig Council has. I mean, that's that's really incredible when you think about that. But yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot of openings. Uh, it's going to be really interesting. I I think everybody's going to wait for the Joe Madden shoe to drop, and the Joe Madden shoe I don't think drops until the Phillies and Mets figure out what they're doing. The Phillies could let Gabe Kapler go. They haven't yet, which is a little surprising to me. I don't know if that means they're not going to or if they're still evaluating things. I think the Mets are going to let Mickey Calloway go um, probably by the end of this week, um, which I think is kind of unfortunate. I mean, they were 20 games over 500 in the second half, and that's not good enough to save your job. Hmm. Um, that's a little frustrating, I would think, for the industry. But I think they're probably going to let him go. And if I'm Joe Madden, I'm going to wait and let all these jobs open up because it's still about trying to get your payday right. And he's going to have some leverage because a lot of these teams – I think you're going to have interest in him. Padres certainly would have interest in him. We know. I think the Phillies would if, if that job opens up. The Mets, I think, would have interest in him if that job opens up. And we know the Angels are going to have interest in him. So it'll be really interesting to see what, what shakes out in the Joe Madden sweepstakes. I think he'll probably look at two things. One, where am I going to be most comfortable? But two, which roster gives me the best chance to win? And really all those rosters have some promise to them, the ones I listed off. Um, he's not going to go to Pittsburgh. We know that. But um, there's some other places there that would be interesting landing spots for Joe Madden. And then I think we'll see some other things fall into place. Look, the Royals are going to go in a different direction than that. The Pirates are going to go in a different direction than that. So they may move along in their process without waiting on Joe Madden. But I think some of those high-profile teams that have a young core that people think can win now, I think those are going to all be in limbo until Joe Madden picks a spot. Yeah, with that hierarchy part of that managers with Yost and Bochi retiring and Hurdle getting ousted, yeah, it certainly cleared the top of that off a little bit. I want to throw a name at you that I'm hearing pop up a little bit as a potential guy that's not managed before, but you certainly know, and that's Raul Abanez. It seems like his name is kind of surfacing a little bit, particularly in San Francisco. By all accounts, he'd be a pretty good guy on the bench, wouldn't he? Yeah, I think he'd be great, and, and I think he's going to get a job. I don't know if it's this year. It might be this year. Um, but I think he, he fits the mold of that younger guy, not that far removed from playing, doesn't have any managerial experience. They're going that direction now uh, more and more. And and it's been working, too, for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, I think part of it is the guys that have done that have kind of walked into good situations from a talent perspective, and that's part of it. But... I think it also is the communication between the front office and the and the manager is so important now. It's not just here's your team, go manage them to for 162 games and let's see what happens. Everybody's working together, whether it be player moves because guys are up and down every day now with a 25 man going to a 26 man roster next year, but also the 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 analytical part of it, um, the front office and the advanced scouting and here's how we're going to play this guy and here's how we're going to position our infield from a shift in this in this way, and here's what we're going to do in this count uh, against this hitter. All of that stuff 
you know, is now done by guys on computers, essentially, and guys with it, with video and everything else with their advanced scouting. And, and, and then that has to be now put into beyond just a report form, right, to your staff. And so there's got to be a middleman that's able to kind of talk both languages and and be that conduit between the two. And the manager's one of those guys and to be able to implement all those things onto the field. It's a complicated thing. There's a lot more that goes into it than people realize. I know when I first came to the big leagues in 2016, I was blown away at how much all goes into all of this. And so that may be part of it, too, why some of these younger guys are getting these opportunities. Well, I know you're disappointed. You'd rather be in L.A., but go get your sweatpants on and have some family time here in the coming weeks. I call this sweatpants season, Greg. It's a good It's a good time of year. It's, you wish that the brew crew was still playing, but, um, you know, you get elastic waistbands for five months. That's okay. <laughs> Very good. We'll check with you next week. All right. Sounds good. Thanks. Back, final few minutes of Sports Island here on a Wednesday night. Tomorrow night, it's our Nebraska football show. Tony Tuioti, the Husker defensive line coach, will be in studio for an hour. So get your calls, comments ready for Tony. Uh, Looking forward to chatting with him. And obviously now his job's changed a little bit for this week with the the loss of Khalil Davis off that team. And he's the newest Husker assistant coach. And you feel like that's a group that's played pretty well for this team and, and, and has developed some. Coming into the year, I think people thought that would be a strength of this team. And, you know, you think, unfortunately, no Khalil Davis for the next game. But, boy, he played – even he was able to do some damage against Ohio State. He's played pretty well. Darian Daniels has plugged right into the Husker lineup and been a, a very valuable addition to the lineup. So – you feel like that defensive line group's playing pretty well. Sure is. want to congratulate Angelo Mercurio, who is a former Husker track and field star. She has been named one of nine finalists for the NCAA Women of the Year Award. She was a two-time academic All-American, graduated in May, two-time captain on Gary Pepin's women's squad. Three different times she was the second team All-American in the triple jump. So congratulations to Angelo. She's uh, been a terrific student-athlete in Nebraska. I wanted to mention that before we got off tonight. And also Stanley Morgan, been activated by the Bengals. He's on their active roster now, not just the practice squad, on the active roster. Yeah, good for him to make Zach Taylor's team and on the 53-man roster, and hopefully he's able to stay there. We've seen this with Brandon Riley, how tough it is to stick on an NFL roster. So hopefully stands on the Bengals for a good long while. Good stuff. Thanks for coming in. Hey, thanks for having me. All of our callers and guests appear with us on our Sports Nightly Hotline, brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. Back with you tomorrow night. Thanks to Nate, to Brett, to... Who else is back there tonight? Tim is back there tonight. I saw Josh working volleyball. So we've got a whole cast here tonight. Have a great night.